CBDC is the only bank dedicated exclusively to entrepreneurs. That's why we're proud to support women entrepreneurs with the Thrive Podcast, providing startup women with the support and resources they need to start and grow their business. Here to connect you with the leading Canadian organizations helping women entrepreneurs. It's Janice McDonald on the Thrive Podcast. You're listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, a show inspiring, connecting, and educating women entrepreneurs across Canada. On this show, we connect you with leading innovators, change makers, and organizations helping women to own it in entrepreneurship. The Thrive Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community and voice for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada, the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community and subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. I'm your host, Janice McDonald, president of the Beacon Agency and Startup Canada's ambassador for women entrepreneurs. We're thrilled to have on the show today an award-winning entrepreneur, Cindy Gordon. Cindy Gordon is the founder and CEO of an emerging artificial intelligence sales management firm, SalesChoice. With a long list of credentials and many awards to her name, including the 2017 Startup Canada Senior Entrepreneur Award, Cindy is an internationally recognized thought leader in SaaS and big data. Cindy is also the national spokesperson for CanWit, Women in Technology, a global forum for women professionals to connect with peers, share knowledge, promote research, collaborate, and seek suggestions and advice on career advancement and business growth in the tech sector. Through this role, Cindy is a national champion calling for better strategies and laws to increase the representation of women on tech, company boards, and in executive level offices. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Thanks, Janice. It's really good to be here with you today. So starting right off, what would be the key message you'd like our listeners to come away with today? I know we're going to talk about a lot of things, but what's that key message you want people to to keep in mind? Well, I think the first message, uh, and it's a very significant one, is in order to drive uh, Canada's global uh, economic growth, we definitely need more diversity in the workforce. And so much of our infrastructure uh, is going to require advanced science, technology, engineering, and math skills. Um, and the ratio of women entering engineering degrees is not where we need it to be uh, across the country. Uh, we typically are averaging around uh, 18, 19% of uh, women uh, entering engineering. And if you look at the, uh, the government strategy for creating a national supercluster for Canada with artificial intelligence being one of the key areas uh, the ratio of women in AI-related careers is probably now about 3 to 4%. So that's the key message. Um, you know, we're now entering um, a very significant evolution uh, into augmented intelligence. And in order for us to uh, thrive, uh, we absolutely need to change these bars. Uh, and that's a global workforce uh, with 
incredible diversity, uh, and that's really needed. And it's still missing, uh, despite uh, many conversations uh, that have been played at many levels. Uh, Canada's not making the mark. The numbers are low, and we've got a lot to do. That's what it's. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, there are numbers, um, you know, they're not just low, um, you know, to your point, uh, Janice, uh, we've kind of been in a, uh, I'd call a, a bit of a flat line uh, in over 25 years. Uh, in the ratios of women, uh, we started to get far more activity in the early 80s. Uh, we were actually getting to 38, 39% levels. And the numbers have dropped. And it's dropped because of some behaviors uh, that we have not yet uh, matured. Uh, as uh, if you want to call it a, a civilization uh, in terms of respecting all views, um, all viewpoints and recognizing that we're all uh, there to row our boats in hopefully the, the directions that we want to go. And, um, you know, it's, it's really time uh, for us to rise up. Uh, other countries have changed laws, uh, making it mandatory. Uh, and if Canada doesn't start to make its changes in these ratios, uh, it may require legal changes uh, to move and advance the, uh, the society. Are there any um, countries in particular that you're referencing and specific laws that you'd like to see changed here in Canada? I think Norway has really been quite role model. Um, they stepped back about five years ago and recognized that the percentage of diversity on boards of directors, uh, which obviously are a very significant signal uh, for change, uh, they did put legislation that boards of directors had to have 50% representation of uh, men and women. And that was also predicated on the research that's well known and that you actually do increase economic growth and uh, revenue results with a far more diverse board structure. So the Scandinavian countries um, have been quite progressive in changing their laws. Um, the recent um, catalyst report that came out on the tech sector on the representation of board directors uh, and percentage of women uh, in uh, publicly traded companies, uh, you know, I think was around uh, 17, 18% was the ratio, um, far from the 50% goal that I think we would all like to get to. But if you get into tech boards and technology in science, technology, mm -hmm. engineering and math boards, uh, the statistics are about one to 2% of women uh, are represented. And so in the tech sector in particular really needs uh, far greater leadership and far greater diversity of representation. Those are pretty dismal numbers, <laughs> one in two percent. <laughs> yes, uh, and they're not always spoken about, right? You can hide behind the macro levels, uh, but we really got to look into the segment uh, of uh, tech. So right now, if we look at, um, you know, the requirement is if you're if you're not reaching uh, those numbers, you and you haven't complied, you can at least explain why that's happening. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, you know. You'd like to see more. So you'd like you'd like to see are you are you hoping for quotas here? Is that is that what you'd like to see as the time come for that? I do think that the time has come for quotas. Uh, I think we dance around these issues. Uh, it's not that there aren't qualified women um, in the tech sector um, or in the industry, in the broader boards. Uh, there's also the board list, uh, which has many, many qualified women uh, that are accessible and want these board roles. Um, you know, I think often uh, there's different levels in the uh, publicly traded companies. Uh, 
uh, it's well proven that the board directors, uh, you know, if they engage an external recruiter, uh, that they will mm-hmm. get a far better sampling. Uh, but if they just simply go through the referrals of their networks, uh, they're more apt to, you know, only bring in, um, you know, men into that conversation. The biggest gap is really in the mid-market and the privately held companies in tech, where a lot of the, you know, the founders aren't necessarily women. Uh, the, the diversity on the leadership team may have one um, female in tech. But when you get into the board of directors representation and privately held companies in tech, uh, it's more often, uh, you know, no women uh, that are on the board of directors. Uh, and so, yes, I think that the government has a responsibility with the, um, the venture capital funds, with the amount of federal government money that they're putting into different uh, venture capitalist organizations to really uh, require uh, that there's far more representation of those dollars that are going to female-founded tech companies, as well as making Mm -hmm. sure that there is diversity on the boards. Uh, And not having those quotas that are making them mandatory, uh, it's just we're fulfilling the same prophecy um, over and over again and change isn't there Uh, and uh, you know if the results were moving in the right direction Janice I wouldn't be advocating Mm -hmm. for quotas but now after 25 years of raising these issues uh, because I've been in advocacy for change for quite some time uh, I do think that the time has come uh, where we have to take these issues very very seriously Uh, we cannot become a super cluster in uh, emerging areas like artificial intelligence unless we have representation um, because there's lots of research to support that the design experiences uh, need to be through the lens of a diverse population. And if all these artifacts that are being created uh, don't have a, um, a gender uh, neutrality, uh, we will absolutely introduce gender bias into everything uh, that we see. Uh, so these are very, very deep uh, issues, Janice, that, uh, you know, I really think it's time. Well, you've been a thought leader, champion and advocate, as you mentioned, for women in tech for a long time. So what's the best piece of advice you have received uh, that and that you think has helped uh, you succeed and might be relevant to other women in this field? I think the key thing is, um, you know, I've thrived in the technology industry and Mm -hmm. I've thrived because I've always kept learning. Um, You know, technology is one industry that you just need a voracious appetite. So as one uh, season comes uh, and another goes, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, call it uh, new hype cycles, uh, jump on board uh, and move uh, with the industry evolution. So I think that would be one is have a constant thirst uh, for learning and you can thrive uh, based on that learning uh, orientation. Uh, life to me is a series of projects. It's not a, uh, you know, a, you know, a, a vision that one uh, ends and stops. It's this continual ebb in this tapestry of life. I think the second point, uh, you know, for this message is really for both men and women that in the tech sector, uh, it is important to have mentors and, you know, really declare clearly what your aspirations and goals are, not just in business, but in life uh, and to share those dreams and passions and not to hold back. I mean, so many people don't share what their inner thoughts are uh, with their teens, etc. And I come from the school that the more we know about one another, we can stand for each other's success. 
And, uh, you know, there's been a tremendous amount of research saying that human capacity only brings, you know, maybe 20% of their passion to the workforce. Uh, We need to change that. I'd rather bring 100% of my employee and talent pool's passion uh, so that they really all know that we will embrace them in those ebbs and flows in life. I think, you know, recognizing alumni networks is so important uh, as people transition from one project to the next. And these interconnections really create, you know, springboards for new ideation and and never to let go of those links there. They can be very, very positive and uh, very fulfilling if they're nurtured. It's exciting to to think about bringing our whole selves to work and and the power and importance of doing so. And you talked about mentorship. Um, can you give us a sense of uh, how mentorship has weaved through your own career, both uh, as a mentor and mentee? Um, well, I think um, I've always sought out um, at least five to six mentors when I was quite young. Um, mm-hmm. And in the sense that when I was uh, finished university uh, with my master's degree, um, I had started up a company right out of grad studies. And in that, I had mentors both at my family, my parents were entrepreneurs and other colleagues that had, you know, were in startups. And also some of my clients actually uh, were mentors. Um, and then as I moved into large corporations, I spent quite a few years at Xerox in a number of senior related roles. Um, I always had, I'm sure, three to four um, mentors, both at uh, the, the top levels of the house, but at my peer and on my team uh, as well. I always wanted my staff to mentor me too. I'm a real big believer in 360 degree feedback that we have mm-hmm. blind spots uh, and that we need to be conscious of those and uh, recognize none of us are perfect. We are ongoing living organisms that, you know, you know, stretch out and reshape uh, as, as we go through, uh, you know, our experiences. I have a CEO coach now, um, our chairman, mm-hmm. Dr. Kevin Francis. Uh, Kevin was the former CEO and chairman of Xerox Canada and then built out a couple of companies in the Valley and has been very successful. And he's really my anchor. Um, you know, he's very involved in our board advisory uh, discussions, but very involved in the day-to-day. Uh, and mm-hmm. so any specific risk that I need to get another quick soundbite, I quickly send him a note and he responds immediately. And that gives me another, you know, incredible um, strength tie. Um, you know, I'm a bit of an expert in social network <laughs> theory. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, another tie that's very strong and very deep to really mitigate risks and also to call me out uh, on challenges. So, you know, here I am. Uh, I still have a CEO coach. I'm a big advocate in uh, coaching. Uh, it's uh, very important to, you know, to have that uh, in our lives. Thank you. I think that's so relevant to share and for those listening to understand how uh, strategic you have been in terms of finding the kind of mentorship that you need and also understanding that it's a ongoing commitment that's needed in your career. This is, um, I think, really relevant for people to understand. Now, what advice would you like to impart to our listeners who are looking to break through and get into this exciting industry that's filled with opportunity? What's needed? In terms of the uh, tech sector or the AI sector or both, um, would you like me to comment on both, um, Janice? That'd be, yes, thank you, Cindy. That'd be great. 
Well, I think in, uh, if you've got your eye on the uh, advanced intelligence or AI industry, um, you know, I think the key point is, is that it's accessible to everyone. Um, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, you know, you just need to step back and really declare that you want to move into that segment and then find an organization that will bring your many skills to bear. Uh, I mean, every startup, and we have about 260 startups now in Canada focused on AI, and they're going to need an incredible multitude of skills. It's not all going to be pure tech, right, and engineering mm -hmm. and science. They're going to need individuals that are business analysts and public relations and marketing and social media, uh, HR, um, finance. So all the good skills that different functional disciplines have, uh, they all are needed to be able to build and sustain an organization. Um, in terms of, you know, those of you that are more uh, science technology and engineering math oriented you know I think there are various master's degrees if you've got that base underpinning that you could explore uh, and you know there's some great schools now at McGill and also Queens where they do an integrated MBA and data sciences uh, kind of giving you more depth and predictive analytics obviously the typical schools at Waterloo uh, you know got very good programs and, and so does uh, the various universities uh, right across Canada are, you know, building up skills in machine learning, uh, deep learning, um, you know, regressional uh, statistics, predictive analytics, uh, you know, so, you know, on my team, for example, uh, one of our individuals is enrolled at Stanford uh, doing the data sciences uh, program and uh, advanced uh, intelligence. Uh, Stanford has an incredible repertoire of courses online that you can take for free. Um, I think there's going to be a real big surgence in uh, ethics uh, in uh, AI. And uh, so the Monk School of Business, uh, there's a number of people now doing master's and PhDs on ethical policies uh, and ethical frameworks that are needed to uh, mobilize AI effectively. Um, you know, I think that that's going to become very, very uh, critical. I do see that uh, boards of directors are going to need those skills as well. Uh, I think that's a gap in the marketplace um, and uh, really, you know, asking some of the tough questions uh, that are needed, uh, like where are uh, where are the algos? Uh, how many do we have? Uh, have we done a QA review of the mathematical constructs driving those decisions? Or do we have rights to see any of those constructs? How valid are they? How statistically relevant? Um, you know, I think one of the risks we have is to assume we have a pattern uh, when we, it's not really a significant pattern and we draw conclusions uh, with uh, incomplete data and information. And I think that's a real red flag. Uh, Janice, uh, you know, so again, uh, find somebody that's in the industry uh, that's involved. I think they can guide you to different programs, uh, different opportunities. Uh, we, for example, uh, Janice, are launching uh, tomorrow um, at uh, Technicity, uh, which is the city of Toronto is declaring that AI is one of their economic growth areas uh, for the future, and um, where we've put together an AI directory identifying all the companies, researchers, and I think there's about 400 
people that are indexed. So I think that's another source that we can get out through, uh, you know, Startup Canada and promote Ellie Fatih, who's I think the Startup Canada's AI uh, lead on your board is involved. So, you know, connecting the dots uh, is, you know, and then finding out where those nucleus, um, you know, connector hubs are, uh, you know, get involved, be a volunteer. I'm a big advocate on, on young people getting involved and Startup Canada has been so role model for so many and to expose uh, so many incredibly talented people uh, that are available and are looking for promising careers. I think that's great. It's so practical and helpful. Before you tell us uh, about CanWit, can you tell us uh, about sales choice, about your company and how entrepreneurs might uh, be able to use AI in their businesses? Um, sure, I'd, I'd be delighted to, Janice. Uh, sales Choice, uh, we've been at the AI game for about five years. Uh, we basically have built um, a platform that connects to Salesforce as our you know, first instance of data. And the use cases that we solve with AI machine learning are predicting uh, forecasts and outcomes before they happen, uh, prioritizing all of the sales opportunities that are in play uh, to mm-hmm. really focus on the most optimal opportunities that the science has picked up have higher odds of being won. And what we've learned through that journey, uh, Janice, is, is that AI on you know large data sets, typically with 2,000 or more opportunities, uh, right at the beginning uh, of a sales cycle, we can predict in some cases up to 99% accuracy before a human's done anything whether it be won or lost. So that insight on prioritization um, is very helpful. And that comes from things like either the lead channel, uh, the rep's performance, uh, Mm -hmm. the amount, the products, the solution mix, uh, the the discount, if you have a discount into the structure. So, you know, we literally perform thousands and thousands of simulations um, on data sets and update every three seconds with machine learning to, so the algo is constantly calculated. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I, you know, when I entered this, industry, I wasn't sure if we could leverage um, advanced AI uh, to predict outcome on sales uh, for B2B sales in particular. And those are mid to large cycles, right? Those are typically between, uh, you know, eight and uh, 24 months uh, duration, uh, although we've been able mm-hmm. to drive value at, at cycles of three months in duration. Obviously, the more data points, the more time dimensioning, uh, you just pick up some incredible signals. And so I'm very excited about about how um, AI can revolutionize and evolve uh, sales productivity. Uh, if you've been following the market, B2B sales productivity is at an all-time low uh, worldwide, mm-hmm. where it's about 35% of time that is, in fact, uh, productive time, uh, focused on what's important, the, re- the real customer, uh, versus being inundated with uh, minutiae, admin overhead, you know, meetings that are non-value-add, emails that are non-value-add, and the noise that comes from living in this age of distraction where focus has become a significant factor. Uh, One point, Mm -hmm. Janice, most people don't realize is that the human attention span has dropped by 50% in the last uh, 10 years with the advent of mobile. So human productivity is really at a crisis point. And, uh, you know, that's why we've got this rise of augmented intelligence to help us, you know, filter through this dearth of data explosion that we have around us. And, uh, you know, moving into something now called guided AI selling, am I on 
point? Am I off point? What could I do to alter things? And really, you know, let the science sift through and guide you in real time. Uh, much like Waze does for traffic, we will start to see that evolution uh, for B2B sales uh, in all dimensions. And, uh, you know, that then creates a foundation, uh, Janice, for the rise of robots, right? Where we've actually automated yep. things to such a point that we will be able to put robots in into more B2B sales roles. And, uh, you know, so if you look at me and where I think I'm in my lifetime with AI, where am I going to go? Hopefully in the future, it's going to be B2B robots and sales, right? Sort of that's next extension. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been experimenting with Alexa. Uh, It's kind of an interesting experience. And just to have a, you know, say to an Alexa box and with chat, you know, what are my best sales uh, opportunities I should pursue? And uh, Alexa responds back, you know, I'm just going to go see Cindy and what are my best coaching comments to her and Alexa responds back. So we're going to run into that kind of world. There'll be more and more voice um, activated AI. Uh, but again, wow. you have to think through the use cases and get these baseline constructs uh, figured out. Uh, AI agents need to be trained on good data, large volumes of data and thinking through all the use case scenarios. But that's an exciting world, um, you know, uh, just to, you know, flash all of the, uh, you know, everything that we may have in CRMs just being pulled out of email intelligently, put into the right slots, uh, because people hate entering data, right? It's one of the uh, big Mm -hmm. issues, right? So finding ways where we can use these intelligent uh, solutions to populate uh, things so we can just keep running and and for humans to do what humans do best, right? you know, I don't think we're going to see consciousness uh, for some time in robots and the ability to handle incomplete information, right, which humans can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, What humans can't do is handle large volumes of information um, and uh, compute, um, you know, uh, transactions, you know, that like a computer can. Uh, But computers, we must never forget, they're only as good as the data and what we're feeding it. So we do need to be cautious that the patterns that are being recognized, in fact, are um, accurate, valid, ethical, sound, uh, you know. And so that's the part of the edge that I think uh, I worry a little bit more now, um, um, Janice. Yeah, I agree. And if if women aren't part of that conversation and part of that um you know, the, the basis of that information being, being put in, then that's there. Those voices are missed, aren't they? Yeah. You're, you're so right that the design implications without having diversity of all, uh, you know, human tapestry into the design of these artifacts is definitely, uh, an area that, uh, has certainly been flagged as a research concern, but, you know, I think there's more and more people recognizing recognizing uh, that are shaping policy, uh, that that's a risk. But then that kind of goes back to the number of, you know, qualified talent that are engineers who've got specialty skills in AI and, uh, you know, are coming together uh, in designing these solutions. Um, uh, So that's uh, certainly something that's still worrisome is where is the talent going to come from? And obviously, to drive more diversity, we're going to require uh, far more immigrants, which is fabulous, uh, to bring more talent from overseas to help deal with the the gender imbalance that we have in our engineering population in Canada. 
Absolutely. So it's no surprise then that you are actively involved with CanWit. So why don't you tell us what it supports, what it advocates for, and 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 why it's relevant for women in tech? Sure. Um, CanWit um, is a, a, a division or an area of focus within CATA, and its whole mandate is really to create connections. It's not a, I would call, an organization where, uh, you know, women would get together in local communities. Uh, we did quite a bit of that about two years ago where there were different local communities set up in different regions, and it was more networking, mm-hmm. um, etc. cetera, um, and that's powerful, but I think there's lots and lots of circles where women can connect. Uh, CanWIT's very much an advocacy lobbying group um, structure uh, for social change uh, for women is the way I would look at CanWIT and for people to get involved. Uh, So some of the concrete things that are going on, um, you know, that relate to this discussion Obviously, one of the gaps, if women in technology want to uh, secure funding, uh, they may or may not have the sources. So CATA has part- partnered with uh, Spring Labs, uh, which basically is an incubator of founded by women for women and invest in women. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, a national North American program uh, that's been very mature, well accepted. The group's been in business now for about uh, 10 years. So that's one uh, pillar of enablement. The second pillar of enablement would very much be around the awards of recognizing women for their leadership in tech and STEM, uh, the Sarah Kirk Award, um, which I was privileged to be a recipient of that last year. Um, actually, it was this year in June. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's a, quite and, an uh, honor. Yeah, and actually Victoria mm-hmm. also was recognized too, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in that forum. So, you know, women that are making a difference, standing out and really trying to, you know, promote the community, you know, it's a way to say thank you because uh, there's a lot of effort that goes into these voluntary efforts, as you well know. The mm-hmm. other area is we, um, in our research, and there's been a lot of research over the years with different universities, it always comes up is we need mentoring stories. Where are mentors that we can tap into? So there's a Vimeo channel uh, in CATA, which is a video channel of uh, women sharing their stories. What did they study in school? What were their lessons learned? How did they progress in their career? The role that mentoring played. Also guiding uh, guidance, um, you know, for women that are really wanting to stay or to come into the tech career. And there's probably about 50 videos, maybe close to 100 now, Janice, that are there in that channel of fabulous women um, at all levels, right? So the reason that's being uh, curated is that we want to move that into the school systems, the junior highs and the high schools. Um, It's so important that as they're thinking ahead for the careers that they might want to cultivate, you know, what would a career like be in robotics? What would a career be like in AI? What would a career be like in, um, you know, uh, science, what would a career be like in um, agroponics, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, um, or in med tech, right, which is so important, uh, the what's evolving in the health sector. Um, you know, so those little snippets we hope will make a difference. But what's interesting, Janice, is the piece that we haven't tackled yet in uh, CanWit, and that's, you know, you know, uh, it's just to put out the call to action. Uh, we finding, we're finding that the research has to go down to grade three levels. 
um, where they need stories. And one of the missing gaps that we have is introducing role models uh, to children uh, in grades one, two through five of women in tech and uh, giving them a vision very, very early. Um, You know, because right now they often just think of uh, in grade two or three, it's woman being a doctor a woman mm-hmm. being a um, an astronaut, a woman mm-hmm. being a scientist. Um, when they think of woman as a programmer, they you know, the research shows they kind of think, oh, that's geeky, or that's you know, they don't have little stories and little role models. So whatever we can do to inspire uh, women and men to write books for you know kids from you know jk to um six that's a real gap in the market where the educational institutions just don't have the content and uh the teachers you know may or may not well more often than not are not aware of the future careers even the guidance counselors in high school there are they're locked probably back in data that's 15 years old um in terms of uh possible careers uh, for students. So, you know, people need vision, they need inspiration. And uh, so that's a real gap. And I'm hoping that we can inspire some leaders to try and, you know, tackle some of that advocacy. Uh, We can do polls at at CATA uh, on these issues, um, on some of the issues we've talked about of advocating for Um, you know, governmental changes. Uh, It's something that I'm expecting that we'll start to put some kind of a petition together. Um, That's, you know, these are the areas that CATA can start to make a difference um, at higher levels in advocating uh, change uh, that we need economically. And so uh, is this a membership-based organization, Cindy? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, there, there's uh, everything's on the website. If you go to the site, and it is a membership um, affiliation. Perfect. And if you want to give people the website so they know where to uh, to look for more information, because you've spoken so passionate about passionately about it. Yeah, it's just uh, www.cata. I think it's .ca. I don't think it's .com. Uh, you know, it's. Let me just double check now uh, if it's a .ca or okay, but C A T A. Is the yeah, it's yeah. C-A-T-A dot C-A. I was Perfect. right, it is C-A. Perfect. Yep. And you can find out, and there's a big gala event happening in May, uh, which is usually a major fundraising forum uh, for the organization. Uh, but you can find uh, research there on smart cities and cybersecurity. Uh, you know, CATA is the lobbying group keeping Shred alive in this country. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, the amount of work that volunteers are doing to keep the Shred, uh, you know, opportunities there, which certainly fuel uh you know, many tech companies, those tax returns are really critical, right? So. Absolutely. And of course, Canwit and, and CATA is a global forum. So how does it connect with women in tech in Canada with international partners? How, how are those connections happening? Uh, Springboard's probably the best example uh, on the fundraising mm-hmm. front. And, uh, you know, a startup incubator enablement uh, would probably be the more active um organization that's going on uh, this new wave where uh, CATA and uh, IT World Canada and Sales Choice we've come together in a joint venture we are positioning an AI directory is going to be a global um, directory for AI companies and to connect the dots so uh, that's being launched actually tomorrow at Technicity and the press releases are, are rolling out tomorrow as well. 
This is really exciting. It's been wonderful to connect with you on these big topics of women in tech, on digital startups, on uh, sustainable innovation, and on and on and on. Do you have uh, some final words of advice to listeners who want to get into or connect with this space? What either, you know, what they need to do or first steps or parting thoughts, whatever you would like to wrap up? today's show with? Well, I I would say that if you want to get engaged in the AI sector, uh, look for the uh, AI directory. Uh, It's going to be, you know, out in the market uh, and open for, uh, you know, making yourself visible. Um, That's one point. If you want to uh, get involved very quickly, uh, look at your local, uh, you know, regional innovation centers, you know, whether it's Mars in Toronto or Communitech in Waterloo, uh, there's incubators in every single province right across the country. Um, I would encourage everybody to get out and understand what's going on in your local startup community. Um, obviously, you know, just simply Ping uh, your local lead for Startup Canada is this one uh, very obvious connection uh, that uh, for those of you part of the, uh, you know, channel here, um, you know, because if you keep your edge to ear to the ground, um, you can certainly, you know, listen, you can le- certainly learn. So if you're in a large company and uh, you're passionate, go find out who your data scientists are. Find out who is uh, leading um, AI and how many people you have in your organization. Go ask the tough questions. Go talk to the head of HR worldwide and say, hey, how many experts do we have in this company that we think are qualified in AI? And see if their eyes glaze over. I mean, like so many people don't have strategies for the advancement of AI and robotics and a roadmap uh, nailed down, uh, which is obviously there's a rise of consulting organizations. I mean, Accenture's got a wonderful foundation. I mean, I think they fueled the Vector Institute in Canada for $20 million. Uh, um, Jody, um, you know, uh, runs uh, AI for Canada. So every large, uh, you know, organization is building on an AI practice. Um, and, you know, so again, being aware of, you know, both small, mid and large companies uh, is really important. But the most important point is why what, what do you really want to do with your life? And being crisp and clear, uh, AI isn't for everybody, right? Uh, you know, sure. so just, you know, really make sure it's your life and you're living it to, uh, to your full vision. And if you don't have that full vision of who you are and what you want to be and where you want to go, then go and take a leadership development program and get that written down. Uh, because too many people uh, don't have, you know, uh, a rud, a rudder uh, in sailing their sailboat. Uh, make sure you're heading to the right destination and, uh, and go for it. Yeah, it's so true. If we don't know where we're going, anywhere will do. Yeah, and that's not good enough, <laughs> right? No. And so it's no surprise that you're an award-winning entrepreneur, Cindy Gordon. You have uh, inspired us today with your thoughts on curiosity, on lifelong learning, and on a strategic approach to our careers, including mentorship. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thanks so much, Janice. It's been a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for joining us this week on The Thrive Podcast, a show inspiring, connecting, and educating women entrepreneurs across Canada. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to 
find resources designed to support thriving women-owned businesses across Canada. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. And to learn about the latest startup community news and events, like our popular startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Until next time, I'm Janice McDonald, leaving you now with a sneak peek of our next episode. This is Julia Deans. I'm the CEO of Futurepreneur Canada, and you're listening to the Thrive Podcast with Janice McDonald. You talked about um, the combination of money and mentorship, and we know that mentorship is critical. So can you just tell us more about the whole mentorship um, program and why it's so important to Futurepreneur? So we recruit uh, volunteer mentors from across Canada. 70% of them are entrepreneurs themselves, and they they are there simply to help the, fu- the futurepreneur launch their business and grow their business and think through what's coming and how they can prepare for it. They generally spend up to three to five hours a month by phone or in person or by Skype talking through the business and seeing what's coming next. And it's it's and the mentor cannot have an interest in the in the futurepreneur's business. So it's really objective advice. Um, and, and these are people who become part of your network for life. So we're really thrilled that we have about 3,000 volunteer mentors across Canada. And I, I can't think of one I wouldn't want as my own mentor. They're all fabulous. And that includes you. <laughs> well, thank you. It's it's a very um, rewarding uh, you know, program and an opportunity to be part of because uh, if... You know, you think that you've experienced certain things and hopefully if you can save somebody from making, you know, just a few of the many mistakes, if I use my own example that I've made, isn't that wonderful, you know? 